0: Listener,
1: production,
0: Cheers. market, the
1: S&P, the ISX, stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag.
0: Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. This time I'll start with him. He is Andrew Page, the founder, managing director of strawman.com. G'day, mate. That is me. How are you? Good. And I am Scott Phillips, the Motley Chief Investment Officer here in Australia. Mate, um, I'm very well. Thank you for joining me on a Sunday. Well, we're pre-recording as we always do. It's also the first episode since I've been on leave. So hopefully, I've escaped the rain by now. I find it very unlikely. Uh, we're heading up to Queensland. Mate, it's going to rain up there too. So for what was supposed to be a sunny, beachy, you know, something weather... Not not so much is the forecasts. Mm. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Thankfully, I listen to my wife and we're not camping this time. We're going to be staying in motels and hotels. Uh, so thankfully, uh, as, as with all of these things, listen to your wife, gentlemen, do what you're told. Uh, mm. Works out for me beautifully this time. Otherwise, I think we might be cancelling the trip. So it's a win. It's a win <laughs> overall. Nice. Mate, uh, let's, let's kick on with some mailbag questions, some really, really good ones. Uh, some naughty ones too and one that uh, I know you've been itching to answer, uh, I think we might have teased this one I actually time, haven't I been because
1: it doesn't, 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 doesn't cover me in glory, but I'll give it a go anyway. Oh, it's even better.
0: I, I, well, I, <laughs> I'm always inclined to do that one first, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> I'll, start, I'll start with some of the others. This is a question from Chris. Uh, Chris says, hello, fools. Love the podcast. Scott and Ram are the best in the business. You know what? I agree, Chris. I agree. Chris does say, it does annoy my OCD that Andrew doesn't end off the podcast with full on. But I will let it go. And for the record, I listen to you both at two times speed. Uh, now, mate, I'm I'm going to I'm going to give you a bit of cover on this one. Uh, Fool on is one of those. Um, so the, the Gardner brothers who started the Motley Fool, uh, it's kind of their signature sign off, or at least become a company one. Um, Andrew used to say that, but of course he doesn't work for the Motley Fool anymore, so he's in completely entitled uh, not to not to drink There's all of the cons- Kool Aid.
1: IP considerations. <laughs> to, uh, to you reckon? In.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Um, we did have we did have a listener occasionally who did run in. It finished with a full on and straw on. I'm not sure if that necessarily covers it entirely. I'm not even sure where full on comes from, other than kind of keep being a fool. Uh, we should at some point actually go into the naming of The Motley Fool and just cover that off for new listeners. But that—that um, that, that is, I assume, on Andrew' behalf, why he doesn't finish that way. I think it's completely appropriate. Though I do understand that in the past he did and then uh, our Doc, our previous podcast co-host, did. Uh, Andrew is not. I understand from an OCD perspective that there's there's something missing in the uh, in the, the, the completion of, of that uh, phrase, the repetition of that I'll phrase. I'll throw one in today just, just to make you. Oh, know. there we go. Promises, promises. All right. Um, Chris says, I have a bit of a hopefully in brackets hypothetical for you. With all the terrible things happening in Europe and with the tension in our part of the world, would it be a good idea to look to invest in defence companies? Now, I hate war, says Chris, and I sincerely hope it never happens and so say all of us, mate. And I wouldn't invest in these companies under normal circumstances. But the cold and calculating part of my brain is seeing an opportunity here even in the case of a Cold War. Like I said, I hate war and conflict, but if it is going to happen anyway, should I try and make the best out of a terrible situation? With philosophical differences aside, would it be a good option? And how would you invest in wartime situations? Thanks and full on. And then Chris says, "See how easy that was." That (laughs) Chris has said, "Full line." I think he's saying, "Anyway," or she. Uh, That's that's from Chris. Obviously, thank you, Chris, for a great question. Thanks for the for the comments as well. Let's break this up, made into two parts, because there is what's happening, and then there is wartime situations, which arguably we're not quite in. And I guess there's a continuum of, you know, what is what is war? Do we have to be involved? What has to happen? Um, so there's kind of it's kind of one and a half different scenarios right one is mm. coldish war or, or or limited regional war and ter- terribly terribly serious and mm. I don't want to um, devalue or, or under undervalue the, the the suffering in the Ukraine right now just because it's not a global uh, there are people suffering there regardless of how well it does or doesn't get resolved or whether or not it spreads. Um, But it's a a good question. So with these things happening, mate, um, I think it's also fair to say that right around the world, including in Australia in the most recent federal budget, uh, governments are bulking up their defence capabilities, um, making more tanks and uh, some would say submarines. I'm going to ask you not to rant about our $5 billion (sighs) submarines, please, Andrew, if you can avoid it. What Uh, submarines? Just wait 25 years. They're coming. Anyway, um, so we are in this – Time of increased defence spending. Chris is right to say, "Hi, hey, I see a trend. I see, uh, I see the likelihood for more mm. money being spent in a certain part of the of the um, of the economy." And, and honestly, you know, it's a, it is a really naughty one to talk about. It's like, like talk about the funeral industry, right? No one really loves talking about it. But if this was, I see more money being spent in IT, or I see more money being spent in retail. We'd have this conversation so it's a very reasonable thing to say, hey, yeah, yeah. I see a, a thematic opportunity potentially mm. uh, coming to pass. Is it time to either look at or actually invest in defence companies? What do you
1: think? <sighs> Not for me and I and will happily put all the sort of moral ethical sort of judgments aside and just mm. look at it in a cold calculating what kind of way. Yeah, Please they they te- well there are some massive exceptions to the rule particularly the big us uh, you know the, the military industrial complex there is something to behold so there is a lot of money that was made by some of those big names uh but in the australian market there actually hasn't really been much to speak of electrooptical systems uh, comes to mind actually quite an interesting business huh. in a lot of ways um Some, you know, the twelve-year-old boy in me thinks, "Wow, some really cool kind of (laughs) tech—cool
0: lasers and drones, (laughs) lasers, drones." You know, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool, but I think, I think, while there is undeniably a bit of a Mm. tailwind Mm. behind them at the moment, the fact remains that these are businesses that are very Mm. Mm. capital-intensive. It takes a lot to build these these um, this equipment that they have. Yep. Once you've got it, you're going into a global market which is hyper, hyper competitive and yeah. you're up against these very big players and you're, in, you're involved in tender processes that can take years. Mm. And then once you sort of, if you're successful in that, then it sort of takes years to deliver. So even when yeah. you do it right, the cash flows are so often well, well out into the future. Right. In and in an effort to deliver on the, the contract that you've just won, You've usually got to invest a whole bunch of money into sort of ramp up your production capacity and, and the rest of it. Mm. So it's 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 very tough. It's very mm. tough. There's another one called uh, Alexium International, AJX. I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's a really tiny little company. They mm. do. Um, I think it's like a forty million dollar market oh, cap. Geez, but that is tiny. Yeah, it's really small. Um, but they have these, these materials that are like flame mm. retardant and you know, help thermal management. So they they put these into military uniforms and and the rest of it. Mm. But it's interesting enough, when you sort of go through the ASX and you look at the companies that are in this space, and I should say that a lot of these companies have applications and products just outside of the pure military arena. Okay. But they, for the most part, have very little or slow-growing sales and have been loss-making operations for the, for the most part. Mm. The other one is, um, uh, quickly search, Ostal which is the shipbuilder. Shipbuilder, yes, yeah, Austal, so they. Asb uh, is the code for memory. That's the one. That's let's have a look. So, uh, you know, pretty ordinary. Uh, they they have made some money, but shareholders have not done very well for a lot of the reasons okay. uh, that that I just sort of mentioned before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. share price basically where it was. Jeez, as far as I can go back big jump up in 2020 and then it all the way back down again and back where it was in 2017 mm-hmm. so they're just they're just tough areas so it's sort of like you always love to have a business with with where there's a heightened demand for your product yeah but it doesn't for me at least overcome a lot of the negative attributes that a lot of, a lot of these businesses have okay you know you, you just yeah I've probably probably labored the point too much what do you think
0: I struggle with this one. I str- I'm not a thematic investor generally um, because I think there's, you know, we, I, I use the example all the time and I've got to th- come up with something new so I can actually have an original thought. But if you'd known the growth in oil consumption or the growth in airline travel, oil consumption over 120 years, airline travel over the last 50 years, and you said, this is what's going to happen. Mm. The growth in oil consumption has only led to a price increase of about two and a half X after inflation. Mm. The growth in air travel has probably damaged, uh, c- c- destroyed more capital than, than actually added to it. Because all the airlines go broke semi regularly every five or six years, an airline goes broke. Mm. Uh, and I, I did some numbers years ago now, like years and years ago. And over the preceding decade, the entire industry had made a, a loss. <laughs> Literally every airline added together, the whole thing had made a loss. In other words, uh, we, we as the traveling public were subsidized by shareholders. Um, so it's hard, right? You know, There will be more travel. Should I buy airline stocks? There will be more. Oil demand? Should I should I invest in the, in oil? Uh, the answer to those both those cases was no, absolutely not. In mm. hindsight, and that's why it's so hard because at the time it would have seemed like a really sensible thing. I'm not so sure. I've said this before. I'm not sure if we were sitting here in 1972, mate. I wouldn't have had this question asked me like, yeah, there's a 50 year trend. Of course, people are going to travel more. Man, jump into the airlines. Yeah, you know, fill your boots. Now, in hindsight, we know that would have been a terrible, terrible thing to do. Um, Buffett twice in a row, or not twice in a row, but two, two separate occasions has lost a small fortune on airline stocks. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a really, really difficult one. Um, I'm inclined to look at it. I, I think if you are an investor who's looking outside just Australia, there are plenty of op- options outside Australia as well. Um, because you don't know how big, how long this lasts and how investors are going to respond, and there, 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 those are three separate issues I'll touch on quickly without labelling this too long. Um, it's very hard to know how to weight this approach. So how big? In other words, how much money is going to be spent? More? Yes. How much more? I don't know. Who's going to get the money? I don't know. On what technologies? I don't know. For how long? Well, maybe this is a 50-year Cold War. It's got the makings of one. I wouldn't be at all surprised if in 2072 we're saying, man, 2022 started this long you know, East versus West Cold War version 2.0 um, you know, Rocky 72 gets made with, with Drago being re- reprised by someone else and the, uh, the Americans are still fighting the Russians, right? Mm. That, that's very, very, very possible. Or maybe in three years' time, the war is won or a stalemate is reached or a truce is declared or something happens and we all go back to our corners and maybe the growth in defence spending then peter's off again because of there are other competing demands. Or not, I just don't know. Uh, and then the last one is what do, we, what do investors think? It tends to be the case. By the time everyone's thinking about it, the price is already up. I was asked on radio yesterday. This is Wednesday now, um, Australian time. Oh, radio, TV, one of them. About um, what, what would happen if Russia, if uh, the West does ban Russian coal, and it was asked as a as a, as a, pre, a future tense question because it's right, we haven't made a ban yet. And my answer was, well, actually, today the price of oil, coal stocks went up six percent mm. because the market's already factored that in. Mm. So again, how much are investors willing to pay now? Has is that already elevated because of those same things, or and or? What will happen in the future? How will investors perceive these companies in future? Um, had you waited to invest in, you know, have you, had you waited for COVID to pass? That's what we talked about on Friday. Before you invested in in stocks, you missed a massive opportunity because by the time COVID had gone, the, the opportunity was gone. Uh, and so you, want, you don't want to be too late to these parties. Long answer, Chris, uh, to a very, very good question. The unfortunate bottom line of which is I just don't know and – I would be looking at the fundamentals of the individual businesses rather than trying to invest thematically necessarily. Some people will do it. Some people will make money. That's great for them. Um, some people will do it and lose money. That's unfortunate for them. I, I, unless you bring a special insight. Andrew, you talked on Friday about, you know, I don't know as an answer. Um,
1: the best answer a lot of the yeah, time.
0: Yeah, I, I'd be happy to. Um, it, is, it is an icky kind of topic where really because of these reasons. But – uh, a, bit like, a bit like retailers during COVID, like p- face masks, you know. People buy face masks. Should I buy a face mask company? Well, you know, if you can get in and out within six weeks, you probably did okay. Um, mm. If you still own one now, they're selling up for half price at Woolies um, and, mm. you know, touch wood that we don't need them again. Maybe we do. But, you know, that that trend uh, was ugly and it, and it really is the a reminder of how quickly these things can pass and how a great idea at the time, even with the right trend, uh, can still bring you undone. So I generally would prefer more evergreen or at least – I don't even my cyclical companies. I don't own a lot of them. I don't my cyclical companies if you know what the cycle looks like. But if you're betting on some sort of future extrapolation, that's really, really hard, and I, I just think I'd give it a miss. Yeah. One of the, one of the
1: questions I love like, I love to ask when I'm going through my, my due diligence is mm. who are the customers and and yeah. you know what are, what are, what's driving them. You know, you yeah, need yeah. to understand that when I'm looking yeah. at an iPhone or you know a zero subscription, mm. it's pretty easy to get your hand around <laughs> head around that kind of stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know. When you're saying so, like, and, and these defense companies, the, the customers are governments, yeah, and governments move slowly, and governments make suboptimal decisions, and governments <laughs> no. make, I'm not even being partisan there, um, governments make multi-billion-dollar deals mm-hmm. and then tear them up at the eleventh mm-hmm. hour, no. <laughs> You know exactly what I'm talking about there. Uh (laughs) Right? And and you can imagine the French going, Wow, we have just signed a X billion dollar contract, this is brilliant, and then it just gets torn up. And it's just it's not as though, you know, when 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 Sarah down the street decides she's gonna buy an Android phone instead of an Apple phone, you know, that's that's that that means nothing absolutely nothing <laughs> but but when but when we you, we we talk about risks such as uh customer concentration and all the rest of it you've just got these really Slow decisions, very politicized in a lot of cases, yeah, yeah. a lot of moving parts, a lot of strategic alliance kind of considerations. So there would be plenty of governments out there that would love to probably do deals with certain individuals mm. and parties, mm. but just won't because of, 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 of yeah. various geopolitical considerations. It just, it just gets really, really, really tough. And I end up, Not so to, to your point, I end up on on this, I just mm. don't know, it's too hard. <laughs> So, and reasonably
0: too by the way
1: yeah yeah it's Probably. it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. really yeah. tricky so it's not as simple as sort of saying well EOS has some brilliant sort of anti drone technology that's mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. it's like well mm-hmm. yeah what else what other anti drone technology right. is out there who's who's the buyers here what capacity do they have the, to sort yep. of scale up? Yep. When, when can they yep. deliver that? When does yep. the cash actually come through? How sustainable do they ha- the
0: technology, yeah.
1: Exactly, on and on and on and on. Now, now mm-hmm. by the way, if you're sort of screaming at your at your uh, headset right now going, yeah, but I know <laughs> all the answer to those questions, yeah. brilliant, that's awesome. You've got an edge that most of us don't have and then you've, you're now in a position to actually make an informed decision. If yep. you're not one of those people, either figure it out or just say it's too hard and, and find something else where it's much easier. So that's, that's where I yeah. land on it.
0: Can I say though, mate, I- i think i want to say this carefully i think you need to be really careful if you're a subject matter expert because of your professional expertise because there is a very 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 long way between what is happening now what might happen in the future and what is happening now and how the share market might think of it mm. if you were a tech guru in 1999 you still got your backside handed to you when the nasdaq fell 80 percent mm. um not because you got you were even wrong about the technology just because the market price, you need to be able to do the the, the, the operational bit and the investing bit. And so I just, you know. The, the other Sometimes is, you can be too close to it, can't you? Yeah, and with biotech, mm. right? There is no biotech CEO out there who doesn't fervently believe they are trying to crack the next big problem mm. and who isn't the smartest guy about that particular technology or, or, or whatever in the room. Mm. And if you are, and again, I, I apologies to scientists who know this stuff much better than me, but if you, you know, those guys aren't saying, yeah, like it probably won't work. You know, or, or I, know, I know best, so I started the um, uh, the Page Cancer Institute and I'm solving, uh, I'm going to cure cancer by X, Y, Z. I fervently believe that. Are they going to be right? Almost certainly not because that's what research is, right? And I think, mm. I just, well, not, this isn't about science, it could be about technology, it could be about defence, it could be about retail for all it's worth, right? Mm. Just, Just being careful that, Smart people are wrong all the time and super informed people are still wrong all the time um, because the future is unknowable and, 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 you know, competition happens and even the best mousetrap doesn't win. That's the other thing, right? The best products aren't the ones we buy most of. They're just not. They're the coolest ones, the funnest ones, the best marketed ones. Is Afterpay the very best finance product out there? No. Is it being used by millions of people because it's just cool and simple and easy? Yes. Mm. You know, and so, so it just, you know, I just think it's really, really important um, just, you know, to, to be, I'll say humble, I don't mean that people aren't uh, arrogant if they believe otherwise or aren't humble. Just, uh, it's the one thing that does worry me a little bit is subject matter experts can sometimes be the best investors because they know most about a, thing, a space. Uh, but as you say, mate, it, it's also, you know, it's true that, for example, surgeons apparently in the US, and this is a horrible generalization, but apparently it's backed by research, Are on mass general, terrible, terrible investors. Despite mm. their obvious intelligence, despite their obvious cash flows, despite their, you know, they've got all the all the dice loaded in their favour, mm. and they just tend not to be great investors. Um, not because surgeons are terrible people, just because they actually know more than they more than the average person. They're used to being smart. They're used to being right. Uh, it can be its own drawback. So I just, I just want to throw that in. A slight, well, massive tangent probably, but just in that, in that same context, you're right. If you know something about it, by all means, use that knowledge to your advantage. Just be careful that you also allow for the fact that the things you know may not be either the way the market makes a decision or the way the markets, as in the stock market, uh, prices those things. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yep. yep. Agreed. Let's move on to a question from Donald, mate. I really like this question because on the face of it, it's both really, really simple and really, really complex. So I love those kind of ideas because this is, again, we like the ability to kind of tear some of these things apart and and kind of really get under the bonnet of what's going on. Donald just says, what are the practicalities for the merger of a not-for-profit and a profit-making business? I can't wrap my head around the merger benefits to shareholders. For full disclosure, you're a shareholder, he says. Now, he then links to an article, and again, by the time this goes to air, we may know more or not about this particular idea. Australian Ethical, I own, shares Australian Ethical, Donald's point, and he had a bit of a smile, actually a poked tongue uh, when he said that because I do normally with my tweets and with my uh, comments on the podcast, try and always let people know when I'm a shareholder of something we're talking about. Um, so Australian Ethical is apparently in talks with Christian Super to, now they call it a scheme, uh, scheme arrangement. I can't remember what they called it. Basically, uh, so here's the backstory: Christian Super is one of three super funds that, the regulator basically said, you guys suck, find a merger partner. Um, now, there's the whole <laughs> my super testing thing, the APRA does the APRA, APRA? ASIC does these tests and kind of just compares how a super fund is going relative to its benchmark and over time says, hey, you guys just suck at this. Um, you need to tell you, uh, firstly, if you're underperforming, you need to tell your members you're underperforming. Secondly, if you really, really suck, we're going to make you effectively shut yourself down or merge with someone else. And so that happened to Christian Super and a couple of other super funds. Um, so Christian Super is looking for a merger partner. Now, it's an industry fund, a not-for-profit industry fund. Australian Ethical, I am a shareholder. We've talked about ethical investing many, many times before. Um, I have this cognitive dissonance going on where I'm a shareholder, but I also think <laughs> that investing is largely uh, overdone in terms of the potential perceived benefits by most investors. Um, but it's a for-profit business. I own shares because I think it's going to make a lot of money. And... So you kind of got this really weird idea where it's like, how do you merge a not-for-profit and a profit-making business? What, what, what does that even, what does it even do? What does it look like? How does it, how does it feel? What happens there? Mm. Uh, now, the first thing we should say is we don't know what the details of this potential merger or scheme arrangement are. Uh, so that's, we can't tell you specifically. So you know, if you're an Australian ethical shareholder interested in shares, don't buy or not buy based on what we say next because we are literally going to speculate on generalities. Rather than specifics, well, if Andrew wants to speculate, specifics. Welcome to I won't. be. Well, uh, even if I
1: wasn't speculating, please don't buy or sell on anything we say. <laughs> well, that is really bad. Yeah, unless you're a own bad idea.
0: First. Um, but it's a really good question, mate. Because on one hand, it's like I don't even know. How, I don't know how that works. But then how does my, it work? Well, my, I don't know.
1: My assumption is is that it no longer becomes a a, a non profit. So we yeah. we we uh, Australian Ethical gets the the clients. They get yep. the money. Yeah, and then they just they plug them into their system, and they're, they're, they operate under a for-profit structure. So the the nonprofit yeah. just yeah. simply ceases to exist. Yeah, and and all that all that remains is is the mm-hmm. money and the clients, mm-hmm. and they just get they just put into the new products, and the the old the old the old structure just gets wound up. Is my assumption. Yeah.
0: So basically that's it. And then we don't know the specifics. So I won't talk about specifics of this particular deal, but you're right. You kind of like, can you merge a not-for-profit? If it's not-for-profit, how can I make money or, or, or vice versa? How can a for-profit business become a not-for-profit? It, it doesn't seem to make logical sense. It's literally kind of the, the horse and the camel thing. It's like, well, how do you combine these two things? What goes on here? Mm. Um, I think to an honest question, the way I've, way I've tried to think about it is you think about it from the fund holders or the unit holders perspective rather than the entities themselves. Effectively, as Andrew, as you say, it's probable that the structure either gets collapsed or Christian Super operates as a as a bit of a shopfront. Uh, effectively, like a think about a think about a business with two brands. Mm. It may be something akin to that, or a white label, where um oh, well, I'll mention it for fun, where Kogan sells. Uh, sell? I think it sells. I was say an announcement uh, the other day. It's going to sell QBE insurance policies, right? Mm. Now, if it's called Kogan Insurance, it's really selling QBE's policies. just called the brand is Kogan on the front. In this Mm. case, if Christian Super does continue to exist and does this deal, which by the way, is not guaranteed uh, to go through. If it does this deal and it's still called Christian Super, it effectively would be a brand of Australian ethical. And that's how they would... Now, their, their, their approach is obviously... Well, not obviously, but just so people know. They do take this ethical style approach to investing. So it's why it's a natural fit. It's also worth... And remember, of course, the is fund it ethical is- to substantially
1: underperform the market well, for such a long period and to such an extent right. that the regulator forces you to, to be right. wound up? Is that ethical? Right. You know. Please. Now it's interesting.
0: So the company, what well, this is a bit of a tangent. Christian Super say it was the fault of the managers who were running the fund and the fact they were overly conservative in terms of the way they run the money. In other words, as the market grew, they weren't as invested as they should have been. They who were, who appointed the managers? Well, that's a different question. Mm. <laughs> they, they're saying though, no, it's not the fault of the of the strategy; it's the fault of the execution, which is possibly true. Depending if you look at two different ethical <laughs> funds, uh, if there is divergence well, there, you would assume it is a, a manager difference, right? People who just screwed up. Um, anyway, so yeah, in this case, look effectively. I'm going to use that one next time I have a bad run. <laughs> It's the manager's fault. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. so, sorry, honey, it wasn't me. It was the it was the investment manager. Who's yeah, that? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's also me. Don't worry about it. not uh, so, so Andrew Page's the husband. It's Andrew Page, the investment manager. He's the yeah. other guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll speak to him very harshly when I go back to work. <laughs> um, so yes, in this case, look, the merger itself it, it, it's not it's not like you're gonna it becomes half not for profit, half for profit. Um, it's probable the Christian Super will get shut down or wound up, and in which case the fund the fund holders, the superannuation members, just get, get trust get transferred to Australian Ethical and run as a for-profit business. Um, it's also, mate, this is the other thing I wanted to kind of touch on because capitalism gets a bad rap sometimes and it gets a good rap other times. And to your point about it, is it ethical to, to lose to the market? This is where, I, I, I love industry super funds desperate. Like I love them. As a group, they are fantastic. There are some wonderful- oh, That's an objective truth, just looking job. at the data, right? Right, but on average, right? So this is why it's important because- being not-for-profit doesn't justify, doesn't, doesn't guarantee you're going to have great performance. Mm. Um, just because you make a profit margin doesn't mean your members can't do better than under somebody else. Mm. So as, as the ad would say, I'm going to steal um, industry super as a tagline here, compare the pair. Would you rather have paid Australian Ethical a fee and paid higher fees than you otherwise could have if they'd been non-for-profit? If Australian Ethical went not-for-profit tomorrow, the fees would be lower by definition, right? If nothing else changed if they simply redistributed the profits back to, to fund holders, then they'd be better off, right? So, so you know, the, I'm not saying that for-profit is better necessarily than what it would be in and of itself. But also, if Australian, if, if Christian Super was was a, you know, for-profit business, it wouldn't be any worse. I mean, maybe it would be worse, but it'd be even worse than than terrible, right? And so there's nothing in – we've seen the same with businesses like Telstra, whether you love it or hate it. I'm a shareholder. Not that I love it. Um, you know, the fact they've they've got rid of a heap of staff Uh, and improve the profitability since then, uh, since it was uh, uh, demutualized or sold or privatized, Um, it's possible to make a profit and be a better business and have better customer outcomes, right? Because the profit motive matters uh, in a lot of cases. Would Christian Super have been more successful if it had had to compete for customers? Maybe. Um, We can't know, we don't know. But it's just worth mentioning that given the context of the question, I love Vanguard because it's not for profit doesn't mean it's going to necessarily outperform BlackRock or uh, those other guys that are for profit. All things being equal, not-for-profit is better for the customer because they have less less margin to pay. But if it leads to underperformance or bad performance or just simply you don't get those same benefits, the driving force of capitalism itself, the profit motive, can itself be a fantastic opportunity for improvement. How good is the Apple iPhone? If it's run by the U.S. Department of Defense, we're probably on Apple version two now. It's probably twice as big, twice as heavy, and the screen probably still breaks. You know, mm. um, not the Department of Defense is terrible. I could pick getting any any department for the fun of it. it just, I just think it was it just worth kind of combining, as Donald says, combining profit and not profits. Interesting, but also thinking just through the whys and the wheres and, and the assumptions we make about not for profit must be better because they're not making a profit, so there must be more money for members. It's only true if they actually do their job well in the first place and, and vice versa. Um, obviously, you know, you still do horribly with a for-profit business or better if that profit motive drives p- improved performance, notwithstanding the incentives we talked about on Friday. Oh, by the way, it's not as though you can't entirely
1: rot a non-profit, right? Like, yes. Pay exactly. my, whatever profit I'm making, I can just disappear that by paying myself and all my cronies a huge amount of money. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. so when, when you do your profit and loss statement, it's just sort of like, hey, there's, yeah. we don't make a profit. Uh, well, I mean, I, I personally do extraordinarily well. So you <laughs> it know. wouldn't be the
0: first charity with uh, not much, not many funds distributed, and uh, a lot of money being paid to the CEO of this tiny charity.
1: I want to say something in regard Don't. to
0: certain famous
1: <laughs> Pentecostal churches, but I won't. Thank you, thank um, you. Yeah, Let's move I'll on. Avoid
0: that. Let's move on. By
1: the way, if anyone's asking you for some cash and a percentage of your income, just
0: just be very careful. I'll say that. <laughs> Okay, full we'll stop. Let's move on. Um, yes, no, it's it, but yeah, it's it's worth it's just worth thinking about, you know, the I said the motives, as Andrew says, but the overall performance, right? Like, I'm, I'm a big fan of paying lower fees, but I've always said I will pay performance fees through the wazoo if it's worth it. Andrew said a week or so, oh, maybe it's next week. We've done so many pre recorded podcasts, I don't know. But at some point, the more pack, the more tax I pay, the more money I've made, right? Do you want to pay less tax? Now, everyone says, yeah, of course. And then I say, be careful. Because yeah, you right should question. want to pay more tax, right? Is if you got if I got the choice, if someone's hitting me tomorrow, do you want to pay hundred thousand dollars in tax or two million dollars in tax? Mm. Before I answer that question, what I need to ask and I should be asking always, and I'm stealing Andrew's thunder here, is, well, how much money do I make to pay? If I if I made 101000 dollars, I got to pay hundred thousand dollars in tax. I'm pretty unhappy. Yeah, but if I've if I, if I've made four million dollars, I'm going to pay two million dollars of that in tax. Line me up. If, I, if that's if that's the deal, then you know. If I've got to pay half my income in tax, I want I want to pay as much tax as possible because that means I made a lot of money in profit.
1: The only way to not pay tax is to lose money. <laughs> exactly. And if that's what you think is a smart move, then go ahead. I, I would love to pay huge amounts of
0: tax because it means I've done extremely well. Which takes us beautifully to a question that, and again, Andrew, I'm going to apologise for my temporal lack of specificity. In other words, I can't remember when we said what about who to what. There was a question we did offer. We promised. Was it last week? I think it was in last week's podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, I think, so. I think Andrew asked himself the question about renting versus buying, <laughs> uh, or at least he asked me off camera. I can't. I don't remember. It's all. It's all. It's all a blur. Uh, the rent versus. We had a question from a listener about renting versus buying. No, they and had versus uh,
1: having a home and versus. Oh, you know, do, do you take right. that money down and draw it down in equity, invest it into the market, or do you just you're pay right. Off the Yep, you're
0: right, yep. and you talk about whether you buy investment property and the risks that were involved in that and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yep, yep. Thank you. I can't remember which episode that is. It could have been last week's. It could be next week. It Could be the week after. So if you're hearing this in advance, surprise. If not, then you're welcome for actually doing what we said we do. I'm not sure which way this is going to go, but you, you. I don't. Know, did you mention on the pod or did we mentioned it afterwards? You kind of no. Which should, I just, the, I just said
1: go on. I, what I said was that there. It's a question. I'm surprised it hasn't come up more often than it, than, it, mm. than it has, mm. but it is that that question of what's financially better to rent yeah. or to buy.
0: There you go. And I there just thought
1: go. I just thought it, it's something that we could rant on. <laughs> oh, dear.
0: And at least you're paying attention, mate. So thank you for filling out my uh, my inadequacies. Uh, maybe I've got a holiday brain. I think I've, i think we've literally we've recorded I think four weeks with a podcast in the last two. Plus I've done two episodes of The Good Oil. So I don't even know whether I'm coming or going right now. Like it's <laughs> yeah, a, it's, all, all, over it's bit, bit like all over the place. Absolutely um, all over the place. So let's go to that question, mate, because so what I said to you when you talked about it why I like asking this question and answering this question having us address this question is because it's absolutely about property and let's do that and frankly cuz a lot of people care a lot about property and we should do it so it's it's useful in and of itself it's also useful I think because it talks to a whole lot of other considerations it talks mm. to risk it talks to margin it talks to leverage it talks to opportunity cost yeah. right right and so this is really, really, really important. Mm. So let's, let's do that and let's talk at that. so let's, let's ask the question, mate. The, the general question is there are two – well, there's lots of options. There are two large categories of options. You can either buy a home and pay it off and then when you finish paying it off, put some money aside to invest. And at the end of that process, you've put some money aside. You now own a house free and clear and you're prepared and ready to enjoy retirement at a given level of asset ownership and a given level of income from that portfolio you've amassed. Mm -hmm. Or you could choose to eschew, to put aside the idea of owning a home outright and say, hey, why don't I rent instead at what is generally speaking a lower per week cost than the mortgage would be and put that surplus cash generated into a compounded, hopefully, long-term compounded asset like shares or something else, by the way. So it, the, the answer is partly is what else do you do with the money? You could put that money aside and invest it instead. And when you retire, you still have to keep renting unless you fall on the uh, the good graces of, 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 of friends or neighbours or family um, mm. or, sorry, and have a much, much larger portfolio, which I guess you could sell at that point or use to generate even more income, which pays the rent and leaves you some left over. Mm. And so the question really is, Financially, and I'll say, mate, and otherwise, because we did get a bit philosophical in one of our recent podcasts, again, or future podcasts, as the case might be. Mm. Um, But there are other considerations as well. Let's start with the financials. Let's start with a consideration. If I said to you, Andrew, I'm going to give advice to my young bloke who's 26 about whether or not he should rent for the rest of his life and save the difference, build a massive portfolio and retire happy, or he should buy a house. Save less, have a smaller portfolio, and retire happy. Which one is the smarter financial decision? <laughs> so I can answer this.
1: I feel as I'm well equipped to answer this because <laughs> I, I have the live, lived experience. So uh, probably about ten years ago, I actually made that decision. We, we owned a house. Well, we, we were we, we largely paid mm-hmm. it off. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it makes me sound very. Um, uh, well to do. This this mm-hmm. was a fibro two-bedroom house <laughs> <laughs> on the fringes of Sydney. But we, we took that decision, right? We, we bought a very affordable house and we threw everything at mm-hmm. it. And then I did this really unusual thing. I actually got interviewed on 7.30 on it once because the producers said, what? Who does that? Who gets on the property ladder and then voluntarily I gets, gets off? off again? You know, like that is, what are you thinking? And love it. And what I was thinking at the time was, is that I'd be better off. And so it, the, the, the calculus depends on the assumptions that you make. And yeah. so you can you can make any conclusion, you reach any conclusion you want with whatever assumptions you uh-huh. want to make. Uh-huh. So I kind of did the exercise by just assuming long-term historical averages. So I just sort of said, well, look, the market tends to go up about 10% a year with with dividends on average compound. Uh-huh. Historically, properties generally gone up. <laughs> People are going to go, no, that's not true. That's not true. Well, <laughs> Let me tell you, over longer periods of time, it is true, it tends to sort of be in the realm of 3 to 5% per annum. Right. So I just took those two lines and I, and I extrapolated them forward. Now, the, now the downside of, of rent is that you're renting forever. You never own it. Yep. But, but then given the age I was at at the time, mm-hmm. mid-30s, and I had 30-odd years of compounding ahead of me, 30 mm-hmm. years compounding at 10% just meant that even though I would never own a house, the the sheer size of my portfolio would be generating so much income that I could easily afford to cover any rent and factoring in increases in in rent and int- inflation and all the rest of it mm. and still leave left plenty left over for for living expenses it was just it was just a better mathematically it was a better bet so we mm. can argue as to whether I used the right assumptions or not yeah um but it was a mistake and I'll I'll absolutely admit it was a mistake. And it wasn't a mistake by virtue of what has happened to have happened with uh, property prices recently. Um, my portfolio is done really well. I'm <laughs> really happy with what it's it, done. Right? Financially, financially, yep. it's actually even even with what property has done. Yeah. N- numerically, we're better off. So that okay. kind of like tick. You know, it's got it's, everything's going to plan. It's yep. been a really great ten years. What I didn't factor in, and what doesn't come into the spreadsheet. Was that as a tenant you have very little rights. So we've we've had yeah. uh, we've had seven different properties in the last nine years. Oh, we get you kicked out every it? year. Yeah, we should. <laughs> we get kicked out all the time. Now, not, yeah. not we haven't we haven't you know stopped paying rent or you know we're not yeah, cooking yeah, crack yeah. in one of the spare rooms or something like that. It's just that anymore. You know, that's right. Not, not anymore. <laughs> that's the real money. That's where you make the real cash. Um, <laughs> but but because the because there's no rental there's no tenancy protection yeah. so it's yeah. a very skewed system i feel as i can say this objectively so just yeah. like the the landlords decided that their kid wants to move in or they want to sell yeah. it or they want yeah. to renovate yeah. it so you know too bad sunshine you're you're gone so we yeah. we get flicked all the time and so you never have any security um, you've you've never got any sort of peace of mind. So yeah, I look at I look at I look at my little spreadsheet and go, I have more money today than I would have if I just continued to to buy that's a house. cool. You know, Can it's I that's keep- cool. But, it, but, it, but 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 oh, but that it's, I've, I've just really got the point is is that yeah, sometimes yeah. this is my this is my problem one of my many problems is that sometimes you can be <laughs> a little bit too clever by or you're too rational yeah, you yeah, know it's so like yeah, big the bigger thing as I've gotten more older and wiser I've realised mm-hmm. that some of the some of the most important things just don't fit into a spreadsheet and that is like that it. is security and peace of mind the fact that I might want to hang on picture up on the wall. Mm-hmm. The fact that I would like to live in the same place for more than a few years so my kids have some stability, it just doesn't just doesn't come into the equation. And had I known then what I know now, I wouldn't yeah. have made that choice, even though financially I'd be worse off.
0: So much good stuff there, mate. I really appreciate your honesty, by the way. Um, really, really cool conversation, a great way for people to think about this for themselves. Can I ask you about the maths first and we'll get into the other stuff? You said this worked out the way you had expected or you're ahead than where you would have been. I'm going to speculate wildly. I might be completely wrong, in which case feel free to put me back in my place, that the maths you, you – well, you're ahead because your investing has been market beating rather than because the assumptions worked out the way you had modelled them. Yeah, it's been a been a good period for me. Is it – because I, I, would, I would suggest from 10 years ago to now, had – we know what the property market has done We know what the share market has done. If you've got the property market average and the share market average, would you still be ahead?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. It would be a much closer. Yeah. I I don't know. I I only ask because I think it's,
0: yeah, for our listeners who are just thinking it through, uh, you're not saying that it's obviously the case that investing in shares was a better idea if I used the average market of 10, the average house price of 5 and said extrapolate forward see it was the right decision Mm. in the event the market's probably done about that over 10 years, I assume, about 10% of year, give or take. Uh, the property market's done much, much better than the 3 to 5% you had. And I, I would speculate actually better than shares over that period of time, um, mm. which is unusual. And you mentioned the long-run average, which is important to you to think about. Um, but I would – I would, I would I, I mean, I'm guessing, just completely guessing outright, but I, I would guess that um, the numbers don't work out anywhere near as well had the property market done what it done, the share market done what it done, and you got the average rather than specific – uh, returns from shares that you've got. Yeah, in the
1: yeah. So that, I think I think that's true. Although I still okay. don't think it undermines the assumptions because whenever yeah. whenever you're doing an an, uh, an exercise like mm. that, mm. we talk about all the time. We sort of say the market average is around ten percent. Yep. And then and then at the same time we say, oh, but it's almost never ten percent in any given yes. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. And so you can have these periods where the market just the average is actually well above that, and then you have yeah. periods where it's well below that. So I, yeah. I'm making I, at the time of the the uh, calculation. You know, I wasn't I wasn't trying to say, hey, this is what the next 10 years mm-hmm. is going to be. Mm-hmm. I was saying, what's it likely to yeah. be over 30 years? So yeah. it's the coin flip analogy. I don't know what yes, I'm going to – the next five flips could be all heads. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but after the thousandth one, it's probably going to be a pretty much exact 50-50 split between heads and tails. So I still stand by that rationale. When I'm looking over a 30-year horizon, I think that you will probably see something that trends much closer to the initial assumptions. Yeah. Um, and Yeah. Yeah. So so. So you're right. You're right. It, it, as it's turned out, property did better than I had assumed over mm, that ten year mm, period, mm, mm, and I personally have achieved a better than what I had expected return. Yeah. Over, over that period. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I still think I still think the point remains though, it, it, we, which is if we lived in if we lived in Germany, mm. and we had really strong rental protections, and we couldn't mm. get kicked out, and I could I could sign a ten year lease.
0: Yeah. I think it was absolutely the right decision. Be really happy, but of- even so, but, but that's different. Saying the results worked out the way you would have expected over that decade, you possibly were backwards, but still feel good in your decision because you used the right data and the right assumptions, even though the future didn't turn out the way you expected. Is that right? Well, past? Well, the future
1: correctly? hasn't. Fit, I mean, I'm. I mean, uh, this is a thirty-year forecast. So
0: true, true, I, true. I, I don't know. So I think. Yes. I think, it's, I we're, think we're, it's- we're analysing it thus far, right? It, yeah, it may be. It may be different. In the future. It may not be. If we're going to analyse the decision to this point. You'd be saying, "Look, I might even be behind, but that's okay because I still think the assumption we're right or I still feel comfortable that was the right assumptions to use, and I'm still not sure it's played out."
1: Oh, Look, you can't predict the future. I all, all I and this is this is the thing. So I could have easily rationalized it by saying, "Well, I think I'm I'm the next Warren Buffett, so I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. forecast 20 percent compound
0: return <laughs> over 30. Look okay, how good it is, yeah. And
1: I'm yeah. super bearish on property, so that thing's going to be like two percent at best, you know. So I, I can get whatever yeah. numbers I want. So rather than rather than apply any hubris. Yeah. You know, and bias to it. I just took very long-term averages and pushed them forward. Now, yeah, yeah, for sure. you could argue whether that was right or wrong, but that's the approach. Yep. Right? So I felt as though it yep. was a very conservative and sensible approach. The interesting thing is, is that when you start compounding things over very long periods of time, just how mm. you know, we we mm. talk about this a lot too. The difference between 10% per annum and 8% per yes. annum over a 30-year period is insane. Yeah. Yeah. So when I did the calculus and I had my little spreadsheet there, it was kind of yeah. like, yeah, it's kind of a lying call for the first decade or so. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of like, you know, in the last five years of it, it's like, holy moly. It's just like, that's where it really just explodes. And it just became, I don't think I ever would have made the decision if it was sort of like, yeah, six of one, half a dozen, a little bit ahead here. You know, it's, it's there's too much guesses in there to have any confidence in these forecasts. But when one is sort of like 5X better than the other. <laughs> okay. Okay. That is that's that is significant. That is massively significant. So I don't want to get into the mass and people will say, oh, yes, but you've got to assume this and did you assume that? And, you know, yes, I felt as though I did a pretty rigorous analysis. But yeah. my my that's not the point. You do your own analysis, you use your own assumptions, you rationalise your own decisions. I, I don't I don't care. My point is, and the one that I really want to emphasize is that when you are doing such an analysis, mm. please bear in mind the woefully Inequitable, unfair scenario that renters find themselves in <laughs> because mm-hmm. you have no rights. You're a second-class citizen. You know, you're at the mercy and whims of of, of mm-hmm. landlords and real estate agents. And it sucks. It just yeah. really sucks. Yeah. And that that doesn't go into the spreadsheet. So again, as I said, if if this was if this was a scenario where we had wonderful security um, and we had wonderful rights. And obviously, I think the landlord deserves significant rights too. You know, they Mm -hmm. they deserve to have their property looked after and rent paid on time. Absolutely they do. I'm not saying that. But you know when you when you can't drop a fork on your kitchen floor accidentally without being copped, you know, <laughs> your
0: bond. Yeah. Or you know how dare yeah.
1: you put a picture up of your you know grandma yeah. on the wall or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yep. like that. Yep. It's just or that you know you don't have hot water for three weeks because the you know the real estate agent really couldn't be bothered sending anyone. I mean, all of these things are real. I mean, I I complain to you for a bit of a laugh, but I as I said to you this morning, it's like you know I'm, I'm a bit of a whinge of my own circumstance. I just I really feel sorry for the mm, single mum of three who's hand yeah. to mouth, who's getting kicked out every 12 months because the, the, the landlord wants to flip their property. Yeah. For, you yeah. know, it's, I just, it, you, in all of this debate we have about housing and solving the problem, the only response the government has, and this is governments of both stripes, is just to throw more money at, at to stimulate demand. No one, to, a third of the population rents. It's not like it's a fringe issue mm, here. It's mm, a th- mm. third, one in three households rent <laughs> and no one yeah. does anything about about that. You know, yeah. so i, I yeah. it's, a, it's a rant
0: for another day. So, yeah,
1: mm. <laughs> I think I've made my point. <laughs> you can agree you or disagree. Send
0: in the letters of, hate. do what you like. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd have been able to sign a 10-year lease back then, yeah. would we be having different conversations? Yes, we would. Would, the, would yeah. your be different? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Five years? So, as I said, the, re- the regret hasn't been the financial mm. outcome. Mm. The regret yes, has yeah, been yeah.
1: having to move all of the yeah. time, having no security, you know. Yeah. It's just anyone who's moved knows mm, that it's the mm, worst thing mm. in the world outside of a spinal transplant, you know, the really bad medical kind of things. It's, it's a horrible experience. It costs thousands of dollars to move. None of your furniture fits. You know, you have to go through the indignity of having a, some idiot real estate agent in their Armani suit pointing out, but there's a bit of a scuff on the wall because you lived here for two. You know, it's it's just it's a really horrible experience. Mm, and you rock up mm. and there's 40 other people looking at this place. It just, you know, it's it's dep- it's depressing mm-hmm. so it's it's a security emotional angle that is that is the consideration. and that's that's the emphasis that i i, I want to mm-hmm. say if mm-hmm. if you're a if you're a single person with with no kids yeah. and it's only a one bedroom house and moving is a pretty low cost easy affairs lots of different options it's probably different mm-hmm. from a family of mm-hmm. four who has to, as much? Who's got schools to consider and and all yeah, and true. all the rest of it? It's just very different. All I'm saying is, again, I I just want to I just want to say, factor in the non-financial. Mm. That's a great point, Because it's because it's important, and that's what the regret is. And to answer your question, if we if, we, if the house that we had first moved into, mm. uh, we were still there. Mm. Happy days, best decision I ever made. Because I'm probably about twelve grand better off just in moving expenses alone. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Not to mention the grief and the stress. Motley full Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter
0: at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Question for you, mate. I don't have a view of this necessarily. Um, but as I think about how this works through, um, <sighs> if we think through the realities of... The one-bedroom single-person thing and, the, and the, the, the impact of compounding and how long it takes for that difference to be felt. Mm. If the single person is saying that's me but I'm going to have a family in the next five to seven years, I don't know that I have an answer or even, even a considered view but I wonder if they should jump on the property ladder anyway for those reasons that by the time the compounding is enough to offset the difference, they will all had to have bought a house at some point. And I don't know what's a timing question and how, how high do prices rise and that kind of stuff, mm. but I'm just, trying, I'm just trying to think through it. I don't know if I have a view, I don't know if it matters, but it strikes me that even for that person, if you know you're going to be single for the rest of your life or if you're X years old and you're committed to not having kids or you can't have kids or you're past having kids or something, I guess there's, there's some circumstances. But I do wonder about the 23-year-old listening who's like, Andrew says that over 40 years I'll be right and it's true, but if we're going to buy a house in three, five, seven, ten years, at that point, I am going to want that that security you talk about for the, all of those sort of emotional, psychological reasons, family reasons. Mm. And my company hasn't done its thing yet. I, I, have you have you have you kind of thought through the the, the, the chain of value creation over that period of time to, enough to kind of have a view on whether that would be enough to say because you are going to have to kind of change course at some point before the company really hits its stride. Mm-hmm. You might as well go properly up front to get that opportunity of the leverage and the and the and the buying at the set price and not having to cash in. You know, a ten thousand dollar portfolio that grows at ten percent for ten years eventually becomes a five million dollar portfolio. But in seven years, is still only eighty thousand dollars, and you're still probably miles away from. The property you know you know what I mean is, is there is there a is there a crossover point at which it says don't do it because you will be at this point at some point and it won't be worth it by then or no yeah well it's hard when you do again when you, the shorter the time frame the more the
1: more difficult it is going to be applying averages you know mm. I said one mm. one of the've I've got someone that we know and and they are paying more in interest so people will say rent money is dead money it's such a great Great line. Yeah, right? yeah. It sounds really yeah. good. Yeah. I would say interest is dead money, right? Like yeah. when you're when you're paying off your principal, that's that's going to you. It's in your pocket. That's equity. Yeah. When you're paying interest, that's going to the bank. So whether I'm yeah. paying money to the bank or to some landlord, it's not my. Going, it's not helping me in any way, shape, or form. The 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 insanity of Sydney, particularly at the moment, and to other extent, some of the other capitals, is that even when you do take that decision to buy, there is so much money, dead money, going to the bank before you even get the opportunity to reduce your principal. In fact, the amount of interest that you are paying because you're forced yeah. on to only put yeah, in a yeah. 5 or 10% deposit yeah. and just for a really average three-bedroom brick mm, home mm, that's mm, anywhere mm, within a cooey mm. of of the CBD, it's just I have to yeah. pay so much money that, that that uh, you know, I'm, I'm paying more in interest than I'm than I'm paying in rent. Yeah. and And- and that will work out still very well for you if you assume what well, property was up 20% in Sydney next year. Now, if you want to yeah. be a bold person and assume 20% compound growth over the next <laughs> <seven> years, <laughs> yeah. years, maybe it's true. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's true. But that's yeah. kind of what that, you know, kind of need to see some really robust growth to make that worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And let's not talk about property crashes. Let's just say the market doesn't go anywhere for five no. years or let's yeah. say it only goes up 3% or something like yeah. that. Yeah. You're, you're still actually in a worse situation. So I don't I don't know, mate. But yeah, but hard, I just I feel like I as think if you're wa- gonna
0: change horses in, in the in the early years of that strategy. I'm not entirely sure. I don't because you know, the the, the, the w- renting makes more sense if you put aside the difference because in 30, 40, 50 years' time, the money pays the rent. But if you know you're gonna have to change horses and say, I'm gonna own a house at some point, I wonder whether you've had enough, you know, the the, the growth of the, the growth of the house price versus the growth of the portfolio for five or seven years. May tip it the other way. I don't. I, I well, it might. I mean, that, the that's, numbers. I'm not sure. Yep.
1: yep. You, you use use a set of assumptions that you want, and you'll get the answer that you want.
0: But bit on the historical, on the historical evidence, though, like that that difference in the numbers.
1: Well, don't forget. not it's not, a, it's not
0: a decision that. Like, let's just say in, a, in some idealized
1: world that property mm. continues. Let's be generous. Mm. Let's say it's seven percent, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And and let's say that, pro- that shares are ten percent. Yeah. Um, uh, you will. You, the difference, however, those kinds of timeframes aren't going to be
0: massive and yeah, you can go- leverage benefit though, right? Uh, if you're going to do it eventually, doing it early makes more sense because you avoid the growth in the price while you're not owning the property. Yeah. Because yeah. your portfolio can't grow as yes. fast as the- Because if, if an unleveraged portfolio can't grow as fast in dollar terms as a leveraged yeah. portfolio of whatever assets. Yeah. That's why I'm just wondering whether going early would actually make more sense in that context if, rather than waiting-
1: Yes, if things continue as they are, that's the calculus, yeah. right? So we, yeah. again, we I just I, I feel as yeah. though we, we, because the history has been so long in this way that we we mm-hmm. don't see it as any other option. Again, I don't want to sort of say, oh, the Chicken Little, the sky is falling, watch out, we're yeah, yeah, no, right. going back to yeah. caves. But it's yeah. just the uh, the I, I, the amount of funny looks I get when you say actually maybe it won't <laughs> go up at that rate. <laughs> what do you mean? It always has. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying it won't, but maybe it yeah. won't. And that's yeah. that's yeah. We, we talk about leverage all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of like so. Yeah, you're right. Under a leverage scenario, far and things continue to go up at even at a lower overall gross rate. You're still going to be yeah. better because of the massive leverage that you've taken on. Yeah. The flip side of that is if it doesn't happen, the leverage is going to hurt you far, yeah. far, far yeah. more than it otherwise would have. Yeah. So you just need to be if you're if you're if you are that twenty three year old that's trying to sort of think, Yeah, I probably will want a house in in seven years' time and want to settle down and all that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to have an extraordinary amount of confidence that everything's gonna be okay over there. I don't know how you can, frankly. I mean I think
0: I think you do though. Like I think that's the thing, right? You don't you don't have to have that confidence, you just have to make a a call either way. As you said, you you made your you made your assumption ten years ago on Mm. extrapolating the future forward and say, historically this is happening, historically that happened. So I'm gonna go with this one because it makes more financial sense. I think Mm. Because the problem is it's courageous either way. That The hard part about property or not property for people who are comp- contemplating a $700,000 million, $1.5 million purchase, God love them, um, it's, it's a courageous call either way. It's as courageous not to buy as to buy because of the range of outcomes, right? Like if you don't buy and prices fall, you're a genius. If you don't buy and prices rise, prices may accelerate faster than you can afford. And similarly with shares and exactly the same reason, they're, they're, you know, the, the, the future will determine which way these things go I and mean, you can't know. It's courageous either way. It's courageous to say, gee, I hope the highs don't keep rising. I'll, I'll hold out and not do it. It's courageous to say, I hope prices do keep rising and I'll buy now because I want to take advantage of it. Those are the same courageous views, right, in exactly opposite directions without the benefit of, of foresight. you just got to go, do I put the money down right now or don't I? That's a courageous call either way in my, in my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a valid point. I, although I guess under one scenario, so with with an unleveraged portfolio. When I say portfolio, mm. I'm not sort of you going out there and you're buying a bunch of biotech and mining stocks. You know, I mean, yeah, let's just, just yeah. keep it simple and just say a big broady e- based ETF over a meaningful enough period of time that you ride through sort of any 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 kind of cycle. Yep. You might look back in the future and go, actually, I would have been better off under that scenario. But I've still built up a very decent deposit, and I can still make the option to get into it. Yeah. Um, you know, as re- will I regret it? Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have gone that way. Mm-hmm. Now, if you leverage yourself up to the eyeballs and have a ninety percent LVR on a mortgage, and things don't work out well, and yeah. you're wiped out, you yep. are wiped out. Yeah. Now that's sort of sort of like just just you know. Th- what's the worst case what's the worst case scenario under each of those scenarios? Mm. one's a bit of regret, mm. one is financial you know obliteration mm. Mm. Uh, yeah I, I I lean more towards I, I would I would far prefer the regret of uh, I would have been better off actually putting it all in and you know leveraging up to the eyeballs in, in something yeah. that continued to grow. Yes, obviously I would have been better off, but i'm okay yeah. i'm not I'm not, yeah. I'm not on the street right yeah. But under yeah. one scenario, I buy a million-dollar house. I put a hundred thousand dollars down. That house is now worth eight hundred thousand dollars. You know, I, mm-hmm. I still owe nine hundred thousand to the bank. I've, I've actually got yeah. negative. You know, I've, I've actually, I've destroyed any any savings that I've had. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. The, you know,
0: there's there's that as well. As long as it stays that lower price, though, I, I, I the chance of actually just wiping yourself out in housing. I don't think it's actually debt related. Sorry, it's not related to the amount of debt. It's related to personal circumstances. Yeah. I could have a half million dollar debt, or a million dollar debt, or one and a half million dollar debt. If I lose my job, I can never work again. I lose all three houses. Yeah. If if one of the, if they all fall by twenty percent, then and then go back up again at some point, unless unless in thirty years they're worth less than I paid for them, I don't actually get wiped out. That worst case scenario yeah, but was. But now, really, now you're really talking thirty tail. years again. So. But it's a really long tail. I, I like thought we were talking point. five and seven years. You know. Well, no, but it's in the sense that. My, the reason I'm asking about five or seven years is, if I have to buy a house, if I choose to buy a house today or in seven years' time when I have a family, and I let my portfolio ride in the meantime, the range of outcomes for each of those scenarios overlaps at some point, and the decision theory is different at those different points. Yeah, I'm just trying to think through the the, the logic of, you know, if <laughs> if I if I buy a, if I buy a house now and I'm negative equity in seven years' time, I still own the house, I can still pay it off, and I'm still on a thirty-year journey. If yeah. I by shares now instead, and they go up at 10% a year for the next 10 years. But housing's gone up by even 5%. But it's you know that the leverage of that means the price, the, the dollar value of the house goes up 5% for 10 years. Is what one half million dollar house becomes worth 2.25 million dollars, a mm. million dollar house is one and a half million dollars. Mm. That the sheer dollar difference in the portfolio my 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 share price done really, really well, and is now worth 100 grand. In the meantime, housing's has one and a half million. I've gone up by half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. That that gap there is a bit I'm thinking about with the for the seven year thing. Eventually, as you say, the yeah. hundred thousand dollar portfolio becomes worth a million, then two million, then four million, then eight million, and you're you're a genius in and if you retire at sixty-five with a an eight million dollar portfolio and more than enough money to pay whatever rent the landlord. Yeah, and you know, pay five wants grand from. a week in rent. I'm still f- right. Rent. Right. Exactly. But in the meantime, yeah, look, you've got to sell I mean, at that you, point you, early. That's the bit I'm just trying to. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just I'm no, no, no. I'm not I'm saying. I'm I'll, not I'll, saying, I'll, saying, I'll, saying
1: I'm not wrong. But what what I'm saying is, and I don't want to advocate For anyone to do anything that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. you know, so you're right. These, these, you, you we don't know, right? Let's yeah. be honest. Here. Neither of us know. <laughs> no <laughs> one knows. A,
0: that's the most important takeaway of this whole what's thing. What's going to happen.
1: <laughs> so I always started, as I said, I started this very long time yeah. frames with, with yep. very conservative historical averages. And, and that, yep. that was the basis of how, how, how I could rationalize it to myself. Yeah. People listening out there need to rationalize it to themselves in whatever way they feel is appropriate <laughs> to whatever biases that humans do. Had.
0: Exactly. And, yeah. You know,
1: right. and I, and I, and I I'm, and I'm happy for anyone to make any decision that they feel is right. I don't yeah. want to say don't do this or do that. It's, yeah. it's totally up to you. Yeah. The only thing that I would say is in the case of those that want to lean towards the the, the leveraged uh, price, uh, yeah. uh, uh, property, is yeah. Yeah. just be aware that – again, I, want to, I don't want to avoid the debate. There is the potential for these rapid capital appreciation rates to not mm-hmm. continue. In fact, it might even yes. go down. That's a
0: positive – just – Accept that as a possibility, mate. It's not even a possibility. The 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 big three of the big four banks at least are saying they expect prices to fall between four and fourteen percent in twenty twenty four. All right. Yeah, so right. three the, right. the three the three of the big four banks, and the other one might be the same. By the way, I just don't have the numbers in front of me, um, but three of them are saying we think prices will fall. And I in don't which even case, want if to, they're right, you're kind of you know,
1: I, you know, I've got very strong views on it, but I don't I don't want to get into that. My my mm-hmm. my my mm-hmm. my emphasis here is just. Be aware of that yeah. as a possibility. Yes. Okay, yeah. when as soon one of the definitions of a bubble is when it's when everything is seen as a sure bet. Right,
0: <laughs> that's one of the you one pay of a the high price for a cheery consensus. Warren Buffett would say, yeah,
1: you know, and I, I, yep. and and the and the day that it, you know, maybe arguably yeah. we're sort of near this when when it becomes just religious dogma that this yeah. is how it will always be. That is something <laughs> you want to think. What? It's what happens, isn't it? Yep, okay, yep. so just so be aware of that, and and I'll I'll go against yep. myself here. Just and if if you do go the other way and you do start renting, then I mm. would then then my my emphasis would be, that's cool too if that's right yeah. for you for you. But yeah. learn from my experience, which is yeah. be prepared to be treated awfully <laughs> by by land even if you're and a great tenant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm, look, I, I reckon there'll be a bunch of people out there renting. I've yet to meet, anecdotally, anyone who's said, "Oh, actually, I've got a really awesome landlord who <laughs> That's right. looks
0: after and you know yeah. really prompt on everything." That I'm, know, it's, so, it's, I'm so glad I'm renting. This guy's amazing. Yeah, yeah, no yeah.
1: Like, and I'm sure there, are, I'm sure there are experiences yeah. out there. Whenever you yeah. generalize, you're going to get yourself into trouble. But if you yeah. are going to go the rental route, please bear in mind that it is it, you are you are going to lack that most fundamental of human rights, which is yeah. security. And and you won't have it in our in our country and our system. Yep. It's yep. just it's just a fact, right? And mm-hmm. and and unless there's massive changes to the to the rules, which I can't foresee, it you just you just need to make your peace with that. And I wish I had. I wish. So I'm I'm, I'm going against myself here, right? I'm yeah. I'm I'm saying that I wish I had been more observant to that consideration, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have made. I would have I would have kept my house, or I would have you know sold it and bought another one and whatever. And uh, yeah, it's
0: a tough che- one. To beef, it's a tough to one. To be fair to yourself, mate, it's you know you've you've made the right decisions at the right time for the right reasons. I don't think your circumstances were forecastable or foreseeable at that point. Uh, so no. what do you say? Seven houses in nine years or something? You said whatever, whatever. The oh, if I was. knew that, oh, for goodness' um, sakes, yeah. But do you know what I mean? Like, but I, and I think that's look. I think your point. We don't, we don't, we boxes. don't unpack boxes anymore, mate. When we move, because yeah. what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> these, these are the garage boxes, exactly. Yeah, just yeah. just just get the marker pen and write over the new address and yeah. forward them on. Literally. It's um, it's it's pretty brutal, mate. Uh, look, I and I completely agree with you. I think that's I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Um, but as you say, for others who are considering and contemplating this, just think about it. And also to the usual the usual rider I give on these sort of things is just be mindful of rationalising away Andrew's experience because there will be people who are listening right now. Some will say, "Oh, thank God he's mentioned that great idea." I'll talk to them about that with the partner, and we'll see what we want to do. I'll was about, like, "Oh, how hard can it be? I, I, hmm. I'm happy to move. I, I move all the time. I'm, I'm really happy with that. It's fine. It'll be fine. We'll be okay." Um, I, I will say much to your unhappy experience and, and uh, you know, you and I have been have been mates right through most of this last 10-year period and so that experience of like, here we go again, mate. I had to move again, mate. I had to move again. Mm. Um, I just, I just want to reinforce the reality of that. People who are like, oh, I'd be fine. It can't be that bad, can it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, not, to, not to double down on Andrew's misery but it really can be that bad and just, just be mindful of this is, again, good financial advice should come with behavioural overlays. Just be mindful of how much it does genuinely suck, and and you know Andrew's had that experience. Um, not, only, not only does it suck moving, it sucks. Being forced to move—that's, I guess, and I'm speaking on your behalf here, mate. But it's—it's it's actually that as well. It's like you don't have long. Like. You don't have
1: long to find somewhere. It's, you, right? You know, like
0: I hate yeah. moving at the best of times. And I moved probably twice while I've known you, and mm. I hate it each time. But it was voluntary, and it was a time of my choosing, to a place of my choosing, from a place of my choosing. When someone says, "Mate, you're out," you're out by the end of the month uh, again <laughs> for the for the ex, end of time. Uh, just just really think deeply about that impact. If you are thinking about whether you should buy or rent. Um, Maybe you'll be lucky. Maybe you won't have Andrew's Andrew's luck. But as he says, I don't. I also don't know anyone who's stoked in renting. Um, yeah. In fact, my young bloke uh, literally <laughs> they, they they lived in a, a barely a barely habitable building with some some young friends. And they did it because I want to save some money, and they got a good deal ish. Um, but the roof leaked for most of the time they were there, and eventually collapsed on them. So they came home a week ago because um, the landers mm-hmm. went, "Well, you can't live here now." Had they Fix the roof properly. Had they actually done the preventive maintenance and stuff, they'd still be there probably. Um, I'm not unhappy about that. I love having you home, but uh it's it's a you know it's a it's a huge deal, and and that is all too common. So just that, just be be mindful that, of that.
1: That's what I, I really want to be careful too to emphasize. Like, don't feel sorry for me. I'm fine, right? I you know it's there's nothing there's nothing Feels worse for than a middle-aged white guy <laughs> who's pretty financially secure having a little bit of a. I'm really overtly aware yeah. of that. They like, please yeah. you know. Uh, but I, but I just yeah. I, I, my heart just goes out to the people yep. who don't have the choice, you know, yep. someone who's fleeing domestic violence or mm-hmm. all of these kinds of things. It's just yep. sort of it, it is a
0: limited resources, limited ability to move, kids in school, single parents. I don't, all that kind I of don't stuff. know how
1: people yep. do it. You know, you yep. kind of we sit here and tut tut people who go to cash converters, and that's really fine yep. and you know what? A lot of people don't have any choice but to do correct. that, correct? Because you know, and the system has just. Failed them yeah. because of this massive Ponzi scheme that is Australian uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> property. Yeah. That you know, it's it's a tr- it really is a tragedy. And look at the poor folks up in Lismore at the moment, and some of the yeah, exactly. ordeals that they're going through at the moment. You know, I, I just uh, we we really need to have a, a very serious conversation about housing. Is unlike other financial yep. assets, it is it is a home to people. Yep. You know, even if it's an investment for you, it's it's a home for someone else. And th- I I feel as though. There's a nice middle ground in there. Landlords absolutely deserve proper protections. From really yeah. bad tenants. So yeah. so please don't send me an email about all oh, but my tenants are Yeah, I'm sure they're out there. <laughs> you know, but but let's not forget that there are bad yeah. landlords too. And 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 we need yeah. we need yeah. we need to sort of strike a middle ground where yeah. okay. people can have people can have the wonderful advantages of property investment without mm-hmm. without screwing over the, the lives and livelihoods of, of other people. And and the, the pendulum is just too far on one end of the spectrum in in my humble view.
0: I completely agree. Um, The change in house prices is absolutely the logical extension of the financialization of housing. Yeah. uh, Asset pricing as a proportion or as a a multiple, as a function of interest rates is pricing exactly where it should be given the circumstance. If you said, here's this financial asset, here's the cash flow, here's the risk-free rate, here's, it's like, so that house should be worth $1.1 million. It was worth half a million dollars three years ago. Mm. It makes perfect sense that's what it's worth now based on the change in interest rates. Yeah. Whether... We should financialize shelter, as Andrew is pointing out. I think it's exactly the right thing. I'm not sure what changes we should make to negative or capital gains tax particularly. There are arguments both ways for fairness reasons and equity reasons for a whole lot of different things. But what I do have a very strong view on, which is exactly in line with yours, is we financialize shelter not, not, not property investment but shelter <laughs> and mm. that's an important distinction. Same thing, different words, very different connotations and with very good reason. Um, I'm not sure we've served most people in our society particularly well by doing that. Um, and as you say, mate, realistically, you're not in this position. You're not too badly off. You're, you're okay. Um, your wife and kids will be okay despite having to put up with you. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, there are people for whom rental is, not a, is the only option. Uh, for oh,
1: but ScoMo said just buy a house, remember?
0: Yeah. Oh, I think I'm that one. Um, but, and, and you know, and not looking after those people because we want to make a few more Bob financializing shelter, I think, is, is a mistake. So, there are probably of us yes. out there who are disagreeing vehemently, and that's okay. Um, I think, and we're, fin- you know, again, in either a future or a past episode, we talked about uh, the book Enough by Jack Bogle. And, a, and a, one of my great quotes that mm. if I have already shared, you know it. If I haven't shared yet, stay tuned because it's great. Mm. Um, it's just—it's just a really important reminder, as Andrew has even highlighted. Finance is the means to the end. The end is happiness and satisfaction and comfort and security and all those things. Um, I think we've lost. I agree with you, mate, 100. percent We've lost perspective on what it means for shelter as a as a. I was going to say an asset class. Shelter as a human right. Shelter as a thing yeah. that we as a society value more than we should value money.
1: Yeah, and I value. I, look, I think. I think. Uh, I think- investors should be able to choose property as an investment and should be able to do what do what they can. But, mm. you know, um, why do you have to kick someone out if you want to sell your house, right? Why, why yeah. can't you just sell it with a tenant in there? I, I would have to say as an investor myself, if I'm looking at an investment property, yeah. Yeah. obviously the merits of the property are coming into consideration. If you're going to throw yeah. into the yep. mix a tenant who's been there for seven years and never missed a <laughs> week's rent, isn't that a good thing? Isn't that like, Crazy. oh, there must I be think- a reason
0: though. Like, does the real estate agent suggest it? I mean, they're not stupid, right? Well, maybe they are, but the average investor is not going to be like, you know what? This is going to be worth less without a tenant. I'm yeah, they, the,
1: the real estate agent, I assume, correct me if I'm wrong if you're a real estate agent, but when you're, show- <laughs> when you're trying to <laughs> show off them, a yeah. property- and you've like when you can have that empty or put some staged furniture mm-hmm. in and really make mm-hmm. it look beautiful. Just mm-hmm. it's going to create a better impression. You're going to get a better price. Mm-hmm. You're trying to sell it with a you know family of five in there, the mm-hmm. kids' toys on the floor. It's just never going to be as appealing. So I I, I suspect mm-hmm. that that's that's a big part um, of the reason as to why they they prefer to turf people out. Plus, it gives you a chance to sort of fix up a few things and mm-hmm. really just sort of present it. And and I get all of that. But again, you're sort of you're playing with people's lives. You here's a challenge for any renters out there. I got an eighteen month lease in my most recent place. That is the best I have ever done. You try and get, if you can get more than an eight. Generally speaking, yeah, they won't give you yeah. more than a twelve month lease. Now, yeah. how is that secure? You know, yeah. I've even said to previous landlords because again, I'm an investor. I get it. Mm. So hey, mate, why don't we do this? Why don't give me a five year lease? Uh, if anything changes, you've still got the right to kick me out. I just want six months' notice. Mm. Uh, let's benchmark the rental increases so that we can put that to property prices or to the CPI. What you know, you choose a benchmark. Happily, happy to pay more and more rent each year as long as we agree on appropriate benchmark. Mm. And to my mind, it's so like here you've got a seasoned renter, uh, with exceptional credentials, who's actually mandating. Increased rents,
0: <laughs> asking for more exactly. You know, and
1: giving you yep. security of yep. tenure, and you yep. know. So I'm actually, I'm actually guaranteeing you much longer term cash flows. Mm. Mm. You just get laughed out of the room. You just get laughed. It's just like, and I can't wrap my head around it. I think yeah. part of the problem is, is that we're we're in a situation. I've got to end this podcast at some point. We're we're in, a, we're in a situation where you're a property investor in Sydney. You're probably getting a two percent gross yield. Yeah. On an interest-adjusted basis and rates and all the rest of it, maintenance—you're probably making a net yield. You're you're negatively, you're negatively geared, mm. so you don't make money by having a tenant. The tenant kind of just helps fray the costs a little bit. Yeah. The way you make money is by flipping the house. Yeah. In my parents' generation, property That's investment problem, was yeah. wonderful because you had this asset that delivered you this wonderful cash flow, it's like it's like a blue chip company that paid you a dividend. You know, <laughs> That's a lovely. Right. That that was the investment. The investment, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the income stream no longer underpins the value of the investment. The only way to get value out of your investment is to flip it. So, so that's why you get short-term leases. No one wants to be locked in. They want to be able to sell it when they can. No one wants to be able to sell it with a family in there, not not making the property look as, as, as good as it, as it does. Right, okay. You know, I, I feel as though that's where the distortion is, is a Probably big is, part yeah. of it, is where, it, where it's come from. <laughs> We've got to end this because it's going too long. But, but you started it,
0: is all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, no, no, let, let's, let's be clear. Andrew says, you know what we should do? We should talk about rent versus buying. <laughs> that's true. So let's not let's – not, let's not, if we're going to cast aspersions, mate, let's, let's – <laughs> let's cast them where they truly plus by the way nobody honestly thinks you know what I think Scott wanted to talk about property I think Scott wanted <laughs> Andrew to rent. like I, I'm, I'm, I'm free and clear on this one dude the only thing I'd made the mistake of was letting you re- no I'm kidding it was, mate, it was a really 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 good conversation thanks for your honesty thanks for your passion on this one too um, super useful I hope our listeners get a whole lot of value for it. I'm sure they have got a whole lot of value from it so we can at awesome.
1: ex- least expect a huge amount of mailbag questions in the weeks ahead because we got, oh, we're going to get a lot of correspondence after speaking that one
0: speaking of which let's actually finish by telling people how because we're away for a couple of weeks. I don't know how many times I plugged it during those episodes. So if you have a question or a comment you want us to answer when we're back on deck in a couple of weeks' time, the episodes are done. Don't no, worry, we're not going anywhere episode-wise, but we're not going to be here to answer new questions for a couple of weeks. So you get the chance to fill our mailbag with everything and anything, preferably other than property, but do what you need to do. <laughs> if it needs to be property, that's okay too. Um, hit us up, info, info at fool.com.au is our email address. You can get Andrew on Twitter and you should at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. Grab me on Twitter or Insta at TMF Scott P. Grab The Motley Fool on Twitter or Insta at The Motley Fool AU. If you're on Facebook, simply look for me, Scott Phillips, but there's a few out there. So just go to facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips money or facebook.com forward slash The Motley Fool Australia. That's the lot. We're done. Also, give us a rating if you wouldn't mind. It helps people find the podcast. We'd very much appreciate it. And if I can come back to a couple of nice extra reviews, some more stars, I'd be a very, very happy man, as would Andrew, and Mm -hmm. it would salve his very open, gaping, and painful wounds, as you can tell. So help me, or help Andrew, or help me help Andrew, or help Andrew just be nicer to me. Whichever one of those you prefer, leave us a rating, leave us a review, tell your friends. We'd really appreciate it. Until then, look forward to the next couple of weeks of pre-recorded episodes. They are great. I really enjoyed doing them. And full on, full on. Hey, look out.